Hello and welcome to Author Not Present, your virtual writing workshop. In this episode, we are going to discuss the piece The Garden and the Garden Party. And as always, I'm joined virtually this time, we're not in the same room, by Louise Hare. You're not going to say anything. I'm sorry, but I was about to say something. <laughs> and Christina Kerr. Hello. Hi. We've got this annoying gap in the middle of everything we're saying as per usual when it comes to we're on zoom of course using zoom yeah. virtually social distance by hundreds of miles no not hundreds of miles by miles and miles <laughs> miles and miles um so yes today we're going to tell us a piece called the garden and the garden party but before that let's just catch up what's been happening it's been a while <laughs> it's been a while so the last time we recorded we think was in february all three of us because the last one we did christina was with uh jared mcginnis wasn't it and that was in yes. march and that that was literally the week before lockdown or the week i think lockdown. so yeah i pretty much locked down myself the week after that so yeah i remember going our last to... yeah, sorry go on. go on yeah i remember going to see jared going to that thing and being quite nervous driving there Oh, drop driving there, going on the train there, because of the, because of the virus was starting to spread, and of course the next week it locked down. Yeah, what were you going to say, Christina? I just that I think the last time all three of us were together in a room, it was pre-apocalyptic times, yeah. so we didn't have any real awareness of this happening. We didn't think we would be doing this via Zoom. No. The next time we'd be doing it, things turned. <laughs> we did, yeah, exactly. Who even knew what Zoom was back then? Those yeah. those days. <laughs> um, so things have changed a lot. <laughs> if only we could go back and tell ourselves to invest in Zoom. Oh, I know. <laughs> so yeah, so the last time we all spoke, we were together. We it was before lockdown, um, and then everything's changed. Of course, there's nothing. Nothing's the same anymore. Everything is different. We've also had the the, the huge wave of anger and. Uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of weeks, which has just been, which has fundamentally changed everything again, including the literary world, which I think is something maybe we have to discuss as well. Maybe not this episode, maybe in the future. Um, so I think I would like to know, how is your lockdown and writing been going? How about you, Louise? How's your ro- lockdown and writing? Has it been a positive experience? Uh, it's been interesting. Um, so... Obviously, my so my book was published on the twelfth of March. So mm. I was supposed to have loads and loads of events for the second half of March uh, into April, which all got cancelled. So, I mean, I think that time I hadn't really planned to write anyway. Mm. But then, when I tried to use that time productively and actually sit down and do some writing, I found it pretty impossible. And I ended up trying new things. I started knitting. <laughs> okay nice <laughs> so that's still ongoing so um i made a hat which i go to peter yes peter, peter is now a father so i'm now a father so therefore I um and then because mirror online had the call out for covid stories covid inspired stories i actually the way i got back into writing was by writing um a short story yeah which is a very good short story um, you can find it by going to mirroronline.org slash social methods and you can find it there. I'll put a link in the, in, the, in, the, in the show notes, but it's a very good piece. What I loved about that piece is it's so optimistic. Maybe it's... <laughs> I think I needed it. I needed to like, <laughs> imagine that at some point we would get out of lockdown. Um, yeah. So yeah, as we sit here three months later, still in it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's funny. I think reading your piece back, it almost feels like almost too optimistic. It's like even rosier than what's actually happened in life. And the fact that things are not going to be that sort of, they're not going to be that good, are they? I don't think they're going, we're going to have that moment of where everyone can just run outside and hug each other. Although I did see a video in New Zealand of that happening, of lockdown yeah. coming to an end at midnight and everyone hugging each other and stuff. I mean, New Zealand's back to normal because they were sensible yeah. and locked down straight away. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I wrote that piece in March I think or beginning of April so obviously I was sort of guessing at in but in my head at that time it was the worst case scenario which was six weeks (laughs) (laughs) which just seems hilarious now um but I do think you know there are there have been these little moments where like for example I had to get on a bus to go because I give blood Mm. on a regular basis so it was time to go and give blood so I was like well I already have to get a bus to Tootin 
to go to the hospital. So I've got a friend that lives around the corner. So we went and had a picnic. So there were like little things like that that weren't breaking the rules. It was just sort of, you know, I wouldn't normally, that's the only time I've used public transport since lockdown started. But I was like, well, I have a legitimate reason to why not, you know, use that and then do something nice. And it was just nice to catch up with a friend and um, gossip and have a glass of wine, find mm-hmm. like the grass, it's a nice day. So there are those little moments that you have, but yeah, it would be nice to go into my parents, for example, yeah. or be able to stay somewhere overnight, or, you know, do all those little things that um, you sort of, I guess, take for granted normally that yeah. are sort of very much missing at the moment. Just to, I, this is getting way off topic, but as, as you've said, I'm now a father and none of the grandparents have seen or met Jupiter yet. They've only met him by oh. Zoom. Or, or by whatsapp and it's my son is called jupiter the audience hello hello audience my son is called jupiter <laughs> and uh none, none of them have met him uh anyway getting back to writing so you found it a little bit more productive louise than you thought you would that you've written a short story and i know you're writing your second novel at the moment and editing yes yeah, so i'm editing um having a deadline has been really useful actually so once I did get my edits back at the end of April then it was a lot easier to get into a routine because then it's mm. like I've got two months it's due back at the end of June so I had to get it done and sort of working out some kind of structure to how I was gonna do that whereas sitting down without well having something to write because I need to start thinking about the next book but to sort of do it without a deadline it was just like me ending up on Twitter going into Lakeland and looking at things that I could buy to make my own ginger, like just random stuff, <laughs> anything apart from writing, just, you know, what, who is still delivering, why I'm, you know, I was just bought so much rubbish yeah. online because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Christina? How has your writing experience been in lockdown? Has it been a productive time or not? I think what's weird about this is that when I look back on it, I feel like, what have I even done? Like, what is, what's actually happened? But (laughs) the truth is actually, it's been super productive, which I think I sometimes don't even realize that. You've just pissed off half our audience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, look, it's not all, I think actually, because like initially when we went into lockdown, yeah, I basically lost most of my freelance work pretty much Mm. in one fell swoop straight away. So I kind of, there were a few weeks there where um, it was just like, oh shit, <laughs> what am I doing? How am I going to make this work? Like I am an, I'm not a British citizen, so I qualify for basically no help or assistance whatsoever. I only went freelance within the last six months, so no assistance at all. So it's kind of just like, okay, I'm going to need to like figure this shit out. And um, it took a little while, but actually I did finish my first draft of my novel Um I can't even remember when that was now, April or something. I turned 30, um, had lots of Zoom celebrations <laughs> for that. Um, and now I'm pretty close to finishing a second draft of the novel. Um, so, you know, writing has been happening, but I think there were definitely a lot of weeks where I did almost nothing because it was mm. just this sort of like empty, my time was just really difficult to plan in any real way. Um, and yeah, clients kind of, came up again and disappeared again and work stuff just was all over the place I almost feel like it just would have been simpler to be furloughed in in a sense because at least then you know like this what it is but um anyway it's it's I've managed to make it work I've written some very short pieces as well um but a lot of stuff I'm just trying to I think the difficulty is that I don't think of writer's block is writer's block I think of it as like an emptiness and that's mm. the thing that's been really difficult to combat because normally I would be taking inspiration from a lot of different places but I literally just have myself in my house now and particularly when it came to finishing my novel um yeah it's just very difficult to find places to still draw inspiration from mm. in order to keep sitting down at the desk and wanting to say something else or write something else and um yeah I think it has meant that I've been mining the past a lot more than I would otherwise do um so I am writing a piece about going to Catholic school at the moment which is a thing I actually did and that's quite horrible <laughs> but but actually like <laughs> like going back into those memories is not great but actually like it's kind of I don't I'm just using what I've got basically mm. like, this is that a is non, non-fiction piece or a, or a fiction piece I th- I would class it as creative non-fiction creative yeah non-fiction. okay yeah. interesting well that'll be good mm-hmm. 
I hope so. I hope so. It's pretty horrifying, actually, when I sit down (laughs) and write out a lot of things that happened to us as uh, school kids. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, that was terrible. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Yeah, of of the inspiration thing. So usually we have rounds of submissions, obviously, at Mirror Online. And this this time we opened it up, as Louise said, to stories in the time of COVID-19. And I opened it up, I think it was only for like a month, I think it was. It was actually, no, it was the the three weeks of the initial lockdown from the beginning right until the end. And the the end date was that, hoping that that would be the end of lockdown. And this could be some sort of like nice, these would be a nice sort of time capsule. And I didn't think we'll get that many. But in the end, we had over a hundred and something submissions of just like poetry, um, uh, poetry, uh, creative nonfiction, and lots and lots of prose too. And and so a lot of my lockdown, apart from learning how to be a father and changing a lot of diapers, um, has been about editing and sorting through all those submissions. Obviously not alone. I've got lots of people team to help me do that. But And then publishing those. So in the next couple of weeks, which is will be from the 22nd onwards, we're going to have basically a piece of prose every day. Otherwise, we're never wow. going to get through them all. But it seems to be really inspirational for a lot of people to what they want to write about. Um, we did get a lot of submissions. And, uh, and uh, I think it was not... It was only like maybe 10 percent that are going to be published. Um, and those 10 percent, what they did, why they got published was because they would they took the COVID idea and they sort of worked around it. So we had a really interesting one about lockdown and pride and the fact that pride was cancelled and the fact that this um, author was sort of not trapped, but in her home with her grandmother, who was homo- who is homophobic or was homophobic, discussing about pride and its connection to the pride of Britain, you know, uh, Sir Tom Moore and is it Tom Moore? Is it Tom Moore? Is that his name? Oh, I can't remember <laughs> the old the old, the old man who wrong was person to ask. <laughs> oh yeah, he, he I think so. Oh think no, Tom. please please don't write into us. I'm sorry, I've just been very busy. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, it was just fascinating. It was just fascinating to get read all these stories and to hear people's a lot. A lot of the stories are very similar. A lot of the stories have very similar themes about isolation and loneliness and fear about what was going to happen but yeah as as Louise's piece there was a lot of joy in it too have you written anything COVID related Christina? I did start one piece and I just sort of left it but it's much more just about a couple looking for little joys in their COVID life which was maybe just me again (laughs) dabbling from life (laughs) looking for life uh, things and using them Um, but I've been trying to resist getting too into the COVID thing, to be honest, because I actually feel like I kind of need a break from it. And um, yeah, my book is nothing about that. So I've, I've been forcing myself to sort of stick to the, stick to what I was doing, I guess. Louise, I was just want to ask, do you think that next year it's just going to be endless COVID stories that are being published? I don't think so. I think people are, for a start, the publishing industry doesn't even work that fast. So it would probably be 2022. apart from a couple that are coming out like really soon because either they were already written and just happened to be about an epi- like some kind of epidemic or pandemic uh, or I think there's some kind of uh, romantic comedy coming out that someone's just written really quick who already had a publishing deal but it kind of takes like 18 months to two years to get published and I think if you if you weren't already writing it you know that boat's going to be a sale but also I don't know if yeah. people want to read it so I've got a friend who's just found an agent and he's writing about uh, a pandemic but he's been writing it for two three years um and it just so happens that when he was getting ready to send it out to agents that this has happened yeah. so um you know his book's about a completely different kind of virus it's more like a bowler than this it's very um different although a lot of it is recognizable in what we've seen in terms of the hospitals and ppe so he's writing from like the perspective of several doctors that are dealing with stuff but yeah I think from what I've seen like looking on Twitter and the conversations that have been had around that I think people are just trying to avoid it mm. but I think what you'll find is you don't get any books set in 2020 yeah. <laughs> so everything is going to either be very specifically 2019 or it's going to be well again I think people are shying away from even setting stuff next year because we don't know how long this is going to go on for yeah I think people are really trying to avoid or go look to the past rather than um, whatever the future holds. Yeah, it must have. It's it, 
only slightly comparable, not completely comparable, but you know, after great after world wars and stuff, how do you write about anything else? How does it? How do you? How do you? After nine eleven, university we were doing a nine eleven course about post nine eleven literature and how literature fundamentally changed after nine eleven because it was so impactful on the world and how the world sort of saw itself. And I wonder if it's going to be like that. Like literature is going to change, and we are get there. There's going there is going to be a post COVID literature, but. I don't know what it's going to look like, but this is all going to be very boring of people staying in their houses. And, um, but yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. What about you, Peter? You've had a few distractions though. Yeah. Uh, my writing <laughs> has gone to zero. I just, I wrote a short story. Uh, so just for context, my son was very ill when he was born, Jupiter. He was very ill when he was born. He had something called meconium aspiration. And he basically swallowed his own shit as soon as he was born. Um, and it's caused his, lungs to collapse and so he was in hospital for 12 days um it was on reflection it seems like he was never going to be in serious problem it was it was a very serious problem but it was a very recoverable problem and they had they Mm. they didn't seem as worried as we were about the doctors i mean um so while i was in the icu next to him i wrote a story a short story that i submitted to the um bricklane bookshop prize just because i love that prize and everyone has to buy their books because I love the Brick Lane Bookshop, mainly because of Kate Ellis, who runs it, who was just fantastic. Um, and so I wrote that. But in terms of my novel, no, I didn't write anything. Uh, I, I, fin- I finished one novel. I'm, trying, I'm writing a second one, but I wrote nothing for about three months. And it's only like the last couple of days where things have started to come back to normal a little bit that I sort of found the headspace because I found that uh, because of what was happening to my son and the fact that COVID-19 was so unbelievably unprecedented I I was just not in the mental space to write I just couldn't do it I physically couldn't bring myself to do it I I didn't know I I couldn't put words on the page because I was so traumatized by by what was happening Um, I think I stopped writing the day that I went to Sainsbury's my local Sainsbury's and uh, and it was just insane and no one knew what was happening this is before all of the cues were put in place and everything and everyone was, no one knew what they were doing. Everyone was panic buying. Everyone was just like queues, like snaking all through the supermarket, people next to each other, people fearing each other, no one with masks. It was, it was, yeah, I came home and I just sort of sat down and was like, I can't do anything. I just have to focus on my pregnant partner and then eventually giving birth. So no, my writing has been uh, very lackluster at the moment, but, um, but yeah. But we've uh, you both you and I, Christina, because I've spread the word and the London Writers Award, we both had a bit of luck in terms of our pieces being sent to agents and agents being interested in our work. Yes, so definitely. That's very exciting, and that was it a, is very exciting, and that was a massive boost for me recently. And, and a reason to start again is certain certain agents that I really want want to work with asking for my full manuscript, which is just mind blowing. Uh, I'm one step closer to Louise. Yes, <laughs> we're catching you, Louise. We're coming you very slowly. <laughs> only took horrible a... steps. Keep your distance. <laughs> Don't worry. There's a full two and a half meters or more. <laughs> but slowly, slowly getting there. Which I, I, I don't know about you, Christina, but getting a full manuscript request is just—it feels insane. It feels I have to insane. agree. I have to agree. I have to say that I think that actually is a big reason why I started to get back into my novel so much because I was aware that we were going to go through this process with Spread the Word. And as soon as I, I was honestly like thinking that I would get zero interest from agents yeah, me with too. my novel. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I, I feel like no one is writing something that's like super obviously publishable necessarily. Like everything's good. Everyone's writing is fantastic. But whether or not an agent will find it sellable or whatever. I have no idea. I don't know how really that works. And so it just felt like a complete random unknown thing, but definitely having that, having that has meant that I have been a lot more productive than I would have otherwise been. I think I would have just left it, left that first draft for a lot longer and just ignored it. I think if not for the push with the agents. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's been such a push. So I don't know. I think if you're trying to get back into writing and you're struggling, I think just do something bold, write a short story and send it into a competition, write for a competition, send your script out to agents, you know, do something bold and see what happens. Um, Because I think it it can be such a good boost to get you back in. 
like you did, Louise, with the, the story for Mia, that you, it's just, you've got to pick something and just... Yeah, and I'm really rubbish at writing short stories. <laughs> you keep saying this, but it's obviously a lie because it's obviously a really good story. Well, it, I mean, it is a short story, which is, for me, a bonus because my first two published novels will both be failed short stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this, this isn't the end. I'm like, oh. Um. Any other uh, alternate present news? Uh, yes, we have uh, Jim Toll, who wrote Of Sprites and Spirits, has finished his second draft. We've gone through oh. it about three or four times now, and it's coming out. Uh, it's not actually coming out yet. A couple of weeks' time from whenever this comes out. Uh, so you had to read it then. And I think he made such great improvements. And if, I know personally he found it quite hard, but he said that it was worth it. And uh, it, it, yeah. And it's really good. I really, really enjoyed it. I actually might have encouraged him to enter into competitions because it might actually be competition worthy. But oh, he's like, no, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna enter it. I want to, I want it record. I want it to be published on Mia first. So, but anyway, I think that's a really good success story from us, and you get to read that soon. So, where if you're listening to this now, go to the website, see if there's a story called Of Sprites and Spirits out there, and if not, yeah. Right, okay, I think it's time we get on with our critique of The Garden and the Garden. So, we are going to begin our critique of The Gardener and the Garden Party, submitted by Anonymous, because they're always going to be anonymous. Um, So, roughly, the story is about a gardener, whose daughter has um, cystic fibrosis. And it's during the lockdown. It's a COVID piece of writing. COVID piece. Is that how we call it? A COVID story. A COVID COVID story. A COVID-19 story. Um, About a gardener that goes to a busy uh, manor house with a man owned by a man called Alan. And at the manor house, they're having what could be considered as an illegal party with uh, an illegal birthday party with guests that shouldn't be there. Um, And it's about the conflict between Alan, the the owner of the house, and he's having his party, and the gardener, who maybe doesn't think it's a good idea that they should be having this party in lockdown and trying to keep away, to keep distance. And of course, drama unfolds. So, Christina, what did you think of the story? What did you like about the story? Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like here. It's it's interesting because I was kind of curious about when we would start to get kind of covid stories on this podcast and here we are um (laughs) straight away away. I think it's a nice take on it in the sense that um the subject of the story gardener is quite a I I like that point of view Uh, I'm interested in that character um I think there's a lot of lovely description in here and some ideas that I particularly like um I think the difficulty with something like this and I'm not sure if this person is intending to submit this somewhere with maybe a word count and thus it is the length that it is uh but there are definitely a lot of things that could have been fleshed out a lot more so I just I think there's a lot of early I mean not to use a gardening <laughs> metaphor but there are some <laughs> seeds there are <laughs> seeds of things that could blossom into something lovely yeah okay. <laughs> but I think that um it's just a matter of picking and choosing Okay, Louise, what did you like about the piece? And um, for me, the strength of this piece is that I can completely picture everything. So oh. the visualization, the way everything is described in terms of the house, you know, the sky, everything. I can really sort of watch this sort of unfold. So as I'm reading really, the scenes, I can literally picture the people having their talk, you know, where everything is in relation to everything else. So that for me is sort of the standout of this piece is is just being able to sort of see it unfold Mm, yeah and I would agree I think I think that's probably my highlight uh, my highlight for this as well it's just so yeah the descriptions are fantastic uh the characterizations are they're they're not fancy they're not sort of overdone overplayed but they're just perfect enough so you know who everyone is and you get a sense of all the characters it just feels it, it feels well plotted and it feels like yeah it feels like a very solid piece um to work with okay so that was our good point okay general critiques let's get back into it sorry christine i didn't mean to interrupt you i just want to i just want to share with the world what people love about the piece first before we tear it apart <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <clears throat> um 
Yeah, no, look, I, I think that, as I said, there are some nice aspects to it and I would agree about the description. However, I'm not sure I agree that it's well plotted. I think when mm. you are doing something at this length, you have to be really, really, um, you need to insert us much more quickly in what I guess I think the feeling of the piece or what it is we're trying to convey. So for me, I think what this piece struggles with is a sort of punchy enough opening mm. and, and a punchy enough closing. I think bookending this in something much more robust would really help because everything in between, I would agree with Louise, you know, I can really picture it. I can see the characters, but I think um, in particular, the sort of detail about the daughter it's sort of mentioned at the beginning and it's mentioned at the end. Whereas I think, you know, in my opinion, you could make this a very kind of simple twist sort of story or something that would give us something a little bit more about the character at the end, which is what I guess I mean by a more robust ending. Mm -hmm. So he tells us, we're told straight away about the daughter's condition, for instance, um, but it's sort of delivered in a very kind of matter of fact way. Whereas I think you could, you could hide that from us, perhaps. We don't necessarily need it. Or you could weave it through much more and show us, you know, what the effect of this in the background of the character's mind has on his day-to-day, -day, on, on the things he's doing in the garden, on his reactions to the people, as opposed to sort of just giving us a snip at the beginning and just a little snip at the end. Mm. Um, I would have woven that through much more, probably, and, and therefore maybe given us something like layer is sort of revealed much more at the end to give us something much more robust to go away with. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to jump in there. Yeah. I, so yeah, the, the line is she was two and then a half and had cystic fibrosis. That's it. Right. And yeah. it's just like, I remember when I was writing my, the, my hopefully my debut novel, um, which is about my brother who has a severe, he has a, a condition called Lenitz-Gestalt syndrome. It's a very sort of rare type form of high, uh, uh, rare form of autism and brain damage and all sorts of things. I remember I wrote it into the piece. Remember Julia Bell said to me, who was my tutor at the time, said, you don't need this. You need to tell me what the disease is or you need to tell me what the illness is. You need to tell me what the results of the illness is. Don't, or show me what the result of the illness is. Don't just tell me what it is because I don't know what it is. I don't really know what cystic fibrosis is. I know that it's something to do with the lungs. Is that correct? Anybody yeah. Know? Yeah, something to do with the lungs. Um, but I don't really know what it is. And I, I agree. I think either just start us in the in the garden party, start us with him getting there and, and that fit, or set a good scene where we can see him and the daughter interacting, show us her illness so that we know what the stakes are. Telling yeah. us she has cystic fibrosis makes me go, okay, I need now need to go Google what cystic fibrosis is and see if it, it, it's something quite bad. Yeah. Um, uh, and whether how that relates to the story. But if you show us maybe she has difficulty breathing, maybe something uh, like that. It would help us understand why him going to this garden party and there being other people around him is so desperately worrisome, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, just to add to that, I think that the, the use of memory is lovely later on in the piece, you know, mm. where he's thinking about the birth and, and that sort of stuff. That's lovely. And maybe either just give us more of that or, or indeed, as you say, Peter, just give us a scene with, the daughter herself um in which case we can see the stakes or we can understand the stakes because i think it's a problem of tension yeah. you know we kind of get this peak in the middle and then there's sort of nothing else uh either sort of yeah we just we just kind of delivered a little bit of a peak in the middle and then and then the tension drops off yeah louise do you have anything to add to that or or a, or a different yeah point? well yeah i mean to, to sort of carry on on with that I mean, yeah, the stakes need to be raised because the gardener never really seems to panic. Mm. We've been told at the beginning that he doesn't even go and see an old lady that he thinks will want to give him cups of tea and he feels embarrassed about not having the cups of tea, which seems quite minor then compared to going to somewhere where, judging by the number of cars, there's about 20 people. He doesn't freak out. He, you know, really you would think he would leave that environment. So I think it needs to be worked in a bit better. And I think the the, the overall tone is very laid back and a bit it does become a bit lectury as well and I don't know if that's also to do with the fact that you know obviously he's a gardener he's going to this big posh house so he's obviously quite wealthy people so then the the issue with that is that you then you 
you were like, so are you saying that they're doing this because they're wealthy and they think they're above the rules, you know, a bit like a Dominic Cummings kind of scenario. Yeah. It becomes quite, it feels quite political, like it wants to be political, but it's shying away from it because it's a bit scared of being political. I, it seems like that to me that the author isn't sure what the, the point is or they're trying to make too many points. So I would probably concentrate on the daughter, which means that she needs to come to the fore a bit more and about his fear about contracting this disease and therefore taking it back to her. Because it's just all these little complications of, you know, so-and-so is drunk, so-and-so says the sun will cut off the virus. Um, those kind of things. I was kind of like, I don't, I don't necessarily even need to have any interaction with the people at this party. The main fact to me is the fact that they're having this party that he feels uncomfortable, that he, he should be scared about getting too close to any of them and him sort of making this decision as to whether, you know, he sacrifices income or his best, uh, with his best clients. Um, what is more important to him? Is it survival? You know, there's this whole debate, I think, nationally about the government, with, you know, people saying the government made a choice between the health of the nation and the economy of the nation. Mm. And they failed at both, whether you agree with that or not. So economy versus health is quite a big topic and I think that would be interesting to discuss if he did want to sort of have a political message in it and I think it's just trying to do a bit too much um without being that clear on any of those points at yeah. the moment hmm. that's why it's got potential but it's just tying down what the main point is I think yeah I think I completely agree I, th- I in my notes I wrote that you have the, you have that you have the perfect sort of balance between the gardener and Alan in the sense that the gardener is very worried about the virus and Alan is not at all worried about the virus and then you put them together and you see what happens but we need to find that conflict more because I I, I don't really feel like the conflict's there and I think as you said at the end of the piece the gardener goes back to gardening with in Alan's mm-hmm. garden and it so it made me question oh so he's chosen the sort of economic you know necessity over his daughter's health is mm-hmm. that what's happened or does he not really care about the party? But he seemed to have cared. So- well, there's no resolution at the end of this piece. And I think that, again, is what Christina was saying about, you know, the ending is not reversed. It, it, it just sort of fizzles out with a, obviously he's not happy, but he hasn't apologised, but also, like, Alan's done nothing. So Alan sort of said you need to apologise, but then the gardener hasn't, but Alan's not done anything about that. And the gardener also hasn't done anything about what he's unhappy about. So everyone's just unhappy at the end yeah. <laughs> and, get, and just carrying on. I mean, yeah. yeah, it kind of needs to, there needs to be a decision made at the end by one of these two characters as to how how this day is going to end for them. I think it has to be either that he the gardener drives away because he realises the safety of his, his daughter is more important or we get a more nuanced ending where he has to stay because he needs the money, he needs the job, um, which then brings in class disparity as well which I think would be a quite interesting thing well I feel like he's this is what it's sort of trying to do I don't know my perspective on it was that it was trying very hard to talk about class in particular Um, but I actually think that the little moment with the 300 extra quid in the bank account undermines that possible ending because he's just been given 300 quid for nothing basically because like of a such a benevolent rich person Mm. has given him 300 quid i actually think it would be more powerful to get rid of that and make the conclusion something like you know well i've got to stay because you know of the necessity like if that's the i I don't know my impression was that that was the sort of intention behind the story was to Mm. was to look at you know that exact um need that economic need um but i think you you do need to have that uh like personal story very apparent and clear like the stakes have to be clear and and just handing him 300 quid at that moment I think slightly undercuts that um because he could just be like well I'm done for the day you know off, off like right you know what I mean so I I think you in terms of maintaining attention I probably wouldn't keep that bit in yeah I mean I slightly I was slightly free on but only if it could be made to work so for example if this is his best client and this is his main source of income, then that bit works because that shows how reliant the gardener is on Alan. Mm, I see, yeah. However, the opening completely, to me, the opening undermines the economic necessity because he says that he's turned work down. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. The old lady, he's completely just decided yeah. isn't isn't worth doing that yeah, job, that. but this job is worth doing. That's true. So that could definitely work. I think in which case, you know, it just needs to be more apparent up top that this is, there. there is a more than just 
choice involved here. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think you could lose the, you could lose that whole first paragraph in a way. I think the whole, that whole part could just be just deliver us somewhere much more quickly anyway. Yeah, um, I think that's true. Um, I think, yeah, if, if the author doesn't want to go sort of down sort of economic route and the fear and the sort of story of working class versus upper class, you know, that sort of battle, then I think it needs to then be a moral battle. But even that then needs to be more solidified in the sense that if Alan doesn't care, but he doesn't want to make Alan a pantomime, or she doesn't want to make an Alan a pantomime villain by saying like, I don't care about the COVID, it doesn't exist or whatever. But maybe they just have strong convictions. They both have strong convictions and they both feel like that they're both right in this situation, that they, the party shouldn't be happening, that he believes the party should be happening. So yeah, it just has to be something, doesn't it? It has to either be a moral conviction that they, they're, they're fighting over or it has to be economic necessity versus like um, the, yeah, the desire to protect his daughter. Well, I think that's the other sort of slightly nuanced thing that you're saying there because i'm not does the gardener actually object to the party it's more that they object to the kid kind of running around on yeah. watch so i don't know maybe that too could be clarified potentially so just yeah. for the just for the audience um while the gardener is gardening a child from the party approaches him and the gardener sort of freaks out a little bit well not too much just a little bit that this <laughs> child is near him and is worried that he might is he worried that he might contract the virus? He does say he might have to wipe down his tools. He he kind of hedges the bets again with the anyway <laughs> gardening references, but it kind of hedges the bets on that one because like the, there's you know the suggestion that oh, I'm going to have to wipe down my machinery, but then also it's like oh should you be letting a kid play? So I, I, I'm not hundred percent sure what the gardener's objection is. It's quite funny because on page oh there's no page numbers. <laughs> I just saw there's no page numbers. on a page. Who knows which page? Um, the gardener actually says, am I overreacting? The gardener gestured around him. Is this normal? I don't think I want my protagonist not to know whether they're overreacting or not. I think in a longer piece, in a novel, you can have more subtlety and you can have sort of like this idea of a a person not being able to sort of comprehend what they're going through and then get better. But I think in a short piece like this, I think it should be that he knows he's not overreacting. He knows the danger mm. that he's gonna, he could put himself in. Um, and it isn't normal that they're sort of breaking the rules. Or none of it is normal, but, it, you know, it's not normal. Um, yeah. Okay. So make a stand, I think, is what we want to say to the author. Yes. <laughs> make a stand. You're, the author is making a stand at some point, but it's not there and it's too vague at the moment it's just that it's just too vague mm. right what other points do we have we'd like to make yeah, being, more, being a little bit more specific I I don't really like the bits where it's sort of picking out individual people that are at this gathering mm-hmm. um so you've got the woman by the pool is drinking a martini in particular just because some of the comments they're making just seem a bit ridiculous like the woman saying oh the virus is killed off by the sun. I mean, that that's not a thing. Apparently there's a GP here. And there's there's a few things that don't quite add up for me. And also I don't really care about any of these people. They're sort of faceless people. Um, to me, it would actually be more interesting. So when I've seen people doing stuff that's a little bit dodgy in terms of what's allowed during lockdown, it tends to be a little bit more subtle. So, I mean, to me, it'd be more powerful if Alan just said, well, we've all been doing, playing by the rules and we've been really careful and we agreed that we wouldn't, we'd all self-isolate for two weeks before we came here. So we've been really careful and we've followed the rules. So therefore none of us have got it. You know, it's something quite logical. I yeah. can't believe that a GP at a party wouldn't tell, would tell another guest that, you know, these sort of like random myths about the sun killing off the virus. I don't think that they would, you know, if they were dealing with COVID on a daily basis, would say that, yeah, it's great to have 20 people in your garden all getting pissed up, yeah. for example. Um, yeah, but yeah. I do think people do some quite clever gymnastics when it comes to justifying why they are kind of still following the rules and why they're still, they, they think why it's safe for them. You know, it's this whole use your instinct kind of line that we've heard. Um, Stay alert. Yeah, so, yeah, so, you know. The virus could be right behind you, so. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, if these people are like, well, we've been really careful for six weeks and we haven't seen anyone outside of, you know, we've known the rules, we've got 
our shopping delivered, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've been really careful, therefore there's no way we could have it. Therefore it is safe for us to gather. That to me would make more sense than all these sort of old wives tales being yeah. put into people's mouths. And it's also, it's more, it's more um, accurate to that mindset, isn't it? Where people think, oh, I've isolated for six weeks and nothing bad happened to me. So therefore the virus is not going to get me. Mm. Is, yeah. is a much better sort of like something to be angry at than the person that just says, you know, the virus doesn't exist and it's all a conspiracy or whatever, or sunlight yeah. somehow kills it. Yeah, because if you see, you know, these high profile people that have been caught breaking lockdown, you know, they're like, but I haven't seen anybody else. You know, I've gone to see my lover, but they haven't seen anyone else. And I've gone to my second home, but I didn't speak to anyone on the way, mm. um, you know, without going into the most higher profile one, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, you know, these are just regular people that genuinely are like, you know, obviously they've got caught, but they didn't do those things with complete carelessness. They had thought about it, decided that they weren't at risk and therefore went and did it, even though it broke the rules. Mm. So I think that's just, that would be stronger in this piece if these people were doing the same. Maybe yeah. to have slightly less people, because again, I don't read really, the number of cars, I lost... I couldn't work out how many people, but I reckon it's even <laughs> many. Um, it seemed a bit overboard to have that many as well. Like, I wasn't quite sure that I believed that that many people would get away with parking someone's driveway without other people mm. noticing. I think it would or, be yeah. quite Or, if, if, if there is going to be that many, then the, the gardener has to really react to the fact that they are having a party in lockdown. Like, well, the gardener would be realise like, as soon as he got there. I mean, there's yeah. like, the car showroom as he pulls up. So, I mean... <laughs> He can't be like why has he even got into the house <laughs> he can't be like it almost blase about it you'd have to be like mm-hmm. i'm turning around right now because this is obviously an insane situation or not yeah. because he can't because of for economic reasons mm. yeah we just need a few more of those details that's all mm. because then the the daughter doesn't seem so important when he's just kind of like in the garden and <laughs> seems to have other things going on but i totally agree that particularly the the son the virus is killed by the sunlight. Like that is slightly, we are getting to slightly like uh, silly villain kind of territory there yeah. in terms of some of those lines. Um, yeah. I, I particularly have a problem with the last paragraph. That was the only thing I wanted to add really. And, and particularly the, the, just tonally, the kind of whether they should have aborted their daughter yeah. line really stuck out for me as sort of tonally completely different to, all the other sort of mentions of the daughter and stuff. Um, I just don't think you need any of that. And, and I'm not sure. I, yeah. As we've said, I'm not sure this is the tone to end on. This is not, I'm not sure it's a note to end on. No. And I mean, I think in terms of the daughter, I think it needs some kind of flashbacks or memories scattered throughout, like maybe two or three. Um, Just introduce her um, slowly so, I mean, I would quite like if we didn't find out about the cystic fibrosis till, you know, quite fairly close to the end. We just knew he had a daughter. We see these memories and he's thinking, you know, he looks at the kid at this party and then thinks of his daughter, you know, something like that, that links it in nicely. And yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Especially that little, um, the baby and the marrow kind of image. That's lovely. And I would put that right up the t- top. Instead mm-hmm. of telling us about the cystic fibrosis at the beginning, I would put that sort of, Something like I would just give us a little bit more chronology of the of the daughter and what's been going on, or something like that. Yeah. Um, instead, that, that 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 sort of second to last paragraph or that ending, it does really feel like the author wasn't really sure how to end it, and just sort of put this here and was like, "What do you think? <laughs> what do you think, reader? Do you accept this? Do you not accept this?" And I, the answer is no. I just don't. It just doesn't. It's a very very weird line, and I'm not sure what it meant, and it made me feel. Uh, just to just to read it out, every day since he had wondered whether he and his wife had been irresponsible, whether they should have aborted their daughter and tried again in hopes that their efforts would produce a healthy child and help wipe out the disease. It almost feels like the author is saying, or the, the, the gardener, sorry, is saying that they should have aborted their daughter to sort of prevent the spread of COVID almost, because we have the disease mm-hmm. and then we have cystic. I know, I know it's the both, but it, I'm not sure what's trying to be said here. I was very confused by the end. Of I that. agree. And I, I, well, I particularly left a long when you've just had this beautiful. Like, what does this mean? <laughs> well, particularly when you've had this beautiful memory, though, of yeah. 
the baby and the you know and then there's like a few bit like lines down you've got this like oh should we have just aborted her it's yeah. so totally strange to me and i think and i think what's so much better is is that no he's like i should do everything i can to keep her safe and i will do everything i can to keep her safe and then that then then the story makes sense why he would drive off at the end and not just start picking up weeds okay i think we're sort of running around in circles now so let's go <laughs> on to um line edits so very specific edits I, I would like to start um i have a feeling that the person that wrote this might have gone to university and has spent a lot of time doing uh written academic texts because there are so many moments in this text where we have in truth um uh i i should have listed them all down um oh i, I can't find any of them now but there's lots of beginnings to text that you would put into an academic text. It's like, in truth, in fact, therefore, I think this, da, 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 that sort of language, that sort of academic language that I just think has no place in a text like this. In contrast, there's another one. In contrast, the work you've gone to, we don't, you don't, I don't think it's, it's rarely right, unless the, unless the, the speaker is an academic of some kind to use this kind of language in, in, in uh, literature, just because it makes the text so stilted and it makes it very almost boring to read because you've got these, yeah, these, these such academic and heavy words to them. Okay, that was my first point. Anybody else? I've just found another one, in spite of this. In spite of this, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, my good there actually, no speech marks. Yes. Get out of here with that, no. <laughs> Oh, why? Why? You've got to be so careful. I mean, look, you're not Sally Rooney, so stop it. (laughs) Because the problem is that there's bits that are prose and there are bits that are dialogue and they're all on the same line. And I like which bit is dialogue. I can guess if I look at it closely enough. I don't want to have to look that closely. I just want to know. Yeah. I want the dialogue to flow and it stops the flow of the dialogue when I'm like, is that prose? Has that person said that? Don't know. There's no super important. I think it's so rare that it's like, it can work in the sense of not having it has it has you have to be doing something really incredible with the with the text to leave out certain punctuation marks and i mm. don't think this is that text this is just this is just a short story and therefore it needs to have the sort of function of grammar in it so that we can understand what's happening and i agree i went round and i put i put all i put all of the uh, quotation marks into everywhere they should be <laughs> just because, <laughs> because i was like nope they have to be there they have to be there yeah no I totally agree there's actually like a couple of instances where it's just um run on at the end of a paragraph Mm. but it's actually dialogue so it's not spaced down and then you're supposed to just know that that's then dialogue yeah um I'm not into it either I don't know I don't I didn't have a lot of particular line edits other than what you've actually said because I do think um I think maybe just to kind of add to your point Peter there could be a little bit more differentiation between people talking in terms of the voice I think some of the dialogue is a little bit samey um and quite long I don't know that's just a little bugbear of mine um but otherwise I didn't really have particular things that I really didn't like except for in that first paragraph and then I've just decided to write off that first paragraph as like I don't think that's a good one so um like even up top you know the kind of the house came into view yeah, because we've just had like a description in the first two paragraphs of, um, you know, him thinking about the woman who he's not going to go do the work for. And he's thinking about his daughter and then the house came into view. So what we don't have there is like he's getting he's in the car or he's whatever, whatever. He's just the roads are empty. We know that. And then he's suddenly the house came into view. I just think we don't need any of that because we've got slightly weird transition. We're not situated mm. very clearly. Just I think it would be just better to just situate us either in you know seeing the cars all parked that might be a good place to start us you know the the you know the cars all parked in the garden or something like that Mm. um because i don't think we get a good transition in those first paragraphs um between these ideas in the gardener's head and where they're actually going yeah i think so um so the very first line that we have is the sky was exceptionally blue not a cloud in sight just a single vapor trail creeping along the horizon the roads were mostly empty though getting busier that we can't you can't have that as an opening to a short story you just you just can't it's just not strong enough it's not <laughs> enticing enough um yeah the, I, I think 
um, we read the whole piece because I think it was, we, we, you know, we had to, but I think if you entered this into a competition, someone would read that opening and then just maybe not read on because nothing has been told there. If, we, if you talk about the fact that there are no vapor trails, that's kind of interesting. If you emphasize the fact that the roads are empty, that's interesting because then there's a mystery. Well, it's not mystery anymore, but it would have been a mystery like last year of reading this, like, oh, well, there's no vapor trails and the roads are empty. What's happened? Something terrible has happened. Um, now it's more of a signal of, you know, the times we live in. But um, yeah. you, it's, just, it's just not a strong opening. No, the, I agree. It's, what, I there, the, do we have any lines that could become? Yeah, I was going to suggest that I think it should start with there were more cars than usual parked in the drive. I would yeah. get rid of everything before that because I feel like everything before that is the author telling themselves about the character. Okay. That's what it feels like to me a little bit. And you could mm-hmm. give us some of those details from further up, but just weave them further down. Yeah. You know, give us the fact that there's something unusual about this particular instance as the opening rather than, you know, I don't know, all this other, the sky and whatever else, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Because, I mean, that, that third paragraph, the first couple of sentences, I think, key, but, but maybe further down. But, like, yeah. at the end of the paragraph, then he drove in. Well, I assume, I could have assumed that from... <laughs> I, I deleted that line. Yeah. I deleted that out. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just um, a little bit redundant. But then I think, yeah, I mean... The bit that I, I guess, had the more of a problem with um, is the second to last page because this is where the drop the drama happens, and it's kind of like I'm sort of reading, it going, "This should be a heated exchange, but it doesn't feel heated. Why doesn't it feel heated?" So this is the bit where the gardener and Alan are having this discussion um, about what the toddler's done, and it, I think the problem is that it's all di- it's all put in dialogue, so it's like, "Oh, for goodness' sake, don't you think you're overreacting a little? I'm overreacting. Is this normal?" Like, what tone are they using? Mm. Is it heated? Because it, it, it feels quite flat on the page, and I think it's there needs to be more prose around it. There needs to be more description. You know, you've got a younger man that suddenly pops up, but then says nothing, even though he's the father of the toddler that's at the centre of this dispute. He just says nothing. And I'm like, it's not likely, though. I mean, I don't think you need that guy there, but if he's going to pop up, he needs to say something. You've just sort of had a go at his son, but not really. I mean, it's kind of very... Um, I don't know, is it very English maybe? Like, I'm just like, oh, well, you shouldn't really be doing that. Mm. Okay, do you think I'm overreacting? No. Okay, you should apologise. Okay, well, I'm just going to go and eat my sandwich. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all kind of like one tone. And I think this really should be the explosion of the piece. Mm. Um, yeah. This sort of confrontation, but it's really not a confrontation. It's sort of a half-hearted chat at the moment. And I mm. think this is the bit where it needs to sort of go boom okay and then and then what happens after this argument because it should be an argument essentially with what we've sort of built up to to this point yeah Yeah, i agree i I completely agree i think that that you're that's a very good point yeah it does just feel very very flat on the page it just just doesn't nothing you're just not sure how you're supposed to read it um whether everyone's shouting at each other whether everyone's very if they are doing that awkward english thing of not really dealing with the problem that's in front of them and sort of half-heartedly argue with each other then but show it, us that show yeah. us that tension show well, us that it just, fear it just fizzles because you've got so then you've got um i presume alan because there's no speech marks so it doesn't say you said it and there's three people here i says i think i you owe oh yeah my son and grandson an apology i'll need to wipe down the trimmer is the next line i'm like no that's not an answer to that <laughs> that statement you either apologize or you refuse to apologize you don't go and say you're going to wipe down the trimmer like it just suddenly skews off into this very you know mm. just completely refusing to engage with the current conversation it just it just felt a bit like what and then it says all oh, the you know the guy that he breathed heavily through his nostrils like no yeah, the resolution yeah he just walks away from what potentially is a big argument and then he doesn't fear for his job alan doesn't do anything about this and you would think that alan alan's been drinking all day in the afternoon on a sunny day yeah, alan's shit-faced and doesn't go, doesn't keep on with the argument. That would never happen. You know, you'd be, there'd be a punch up at the end of this. It's, this is England. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but you're right. You're right because, like, if you assume though that they're just sort of like, well, we, we can't. Like, it doesn't make sense though. Even if they are doing the slightly British thing of being quite like um, 
yeah, kind of careful with each other. Why would he bother to even get annoyed in the first place if there's no emotion behind it? Like if, if he was really just, I don't know, quote unquote, Britishing it up, then he would be not even saying anything about the kids. So that doesn't, that doesn't read to me like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Like someone's got to be slightly annoyed here. Otherwise, why would you even bring up the problem? And also going back to the child, what I found was quite weird is that the, the gardener doesn't have the problem with the child being close to him. It's the fact that he fears the child is going to sort of get entangled with the, the machinery or get cut by the, the saw that he's using. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm, and then he leaves it with the machine. Just like, so bye. I, I would like... I want him to fear the child coming close because the child could bring the disease to him. That's what I, that's, yeah. this is a COVID story. So therefore I want that disease. I want that child to be a, like a, a disease, a plague carrier in the 19, whatever. And him yeah. being so fearful and backing away from the child and being scared of the child and being like, this Hey, does... can someone take the child, please? Not like, Oh, there's a child. That's yeah. I'll put my that... tool down for it to play with. <laughs> But that goes back to what I was saying before. Like we're not taking a stand here on terms of mm. what the actual key issue is, because he obviously gets upset that the child comes near, but then I don't know, uses the excuse that the kid is in danger by being near the equipment. But I presume the same thing that he was worried about the disease, but mm. yeah, that's just not clear enough because yeah. all the, all the reasons he gives for raising it with the party is, Oh, you should be like paying attention to your kid, not getting hurt. doesn't mm. quite fit together. Okay, right. I think we should probably call it a day there. So our main points would be the author needs to take a stand. I think they need to take a stand somewhere. It doesn't have to be a, a completely political stand. It can just be a, a, like a, a moral argument about whether they should have this party or not, but they do need to take a stand. And also let's see that child more. Let's, let's, have, a, let's have a scene with the child. And also quotation marks, you have to put them in. <laughs> You have to, unless you're doing something radical, just do it. There's no reason not to. Good. So, listener, you can go to uh, mirrorline.org slash AMP, the gardener, and you can find this episode. And then you can find the, uh, the link to this piece. And then you can read it yourself, which I highly recommend you do. And you can do your edits for yourself. And you can send those to authornotpresent at gmail.com. And we will pass them on to the author. We may discuss them in the next episode, but please do. So that's miraonline.org slash AMP, The Gardener, and you can find it there. Great. Okay. Thanks very much for that. Good. <laughs> I forgot how to end that bit. How do you end that bit? Okay, right. To end the podcast, as we always do, let's talk about what books reading at the moment and any promotions that we have. Uh, so, what are we reading at the moment? I I'm going to go first. I just finished. Uh, I just finished this morning, so I haven't really thought of it. But I just finished uh, Season Butler's um, Signet. It's published by Dialogue Books, and I really enjoyed it. It was uh, one of the one of the um, uh blurbs for it one of the reviews for it stated it was a bit like a modern day holden coalfield um catcher in the rye it's a very it's a it's a coming of age tale but the story is just out there it's just so strange it's about a girl who is left on an island full of old people and the old people are there on this island because that's where they've retired to and this young girl 17 has been left on this island by her parents and she's waiting for her parents to come back but this girl is just yeah she's something else she's so She's such a powerful protagonist. And I really enjoyed it. So I highly recommend reading that. Um, what I'm reading, Rex, I don't know. We're listening to This Lovely City uh, by Louise Hare. The amazing <laughs> audio and everything like that. Me, Jupiter, and my partner. Christina, what have you been reading at the moment? Um, well, I'm going to suggest This Lovely City to my book club uh-huh. as the next book. So nice. just going to put that in there now. Um, but... Um, actually, so I finally read Girl, Woman, Other, like I've been very, very slow on this, um, obviously by Bernardini Baristo. And I completely agree with previous discussions that we have had about this book, that that should have just probably won in its own right and not had any shared prize giving because it was just so beautifully written and so devastating and so excellent. Mm. And I think I read it in like a day because I was just like, give me more. I just (laughs) read this whole book. But yeah, so I finished that um, just recently. And now I'm reading a book called The Mercies by an author called Kieran Millwood Hargrave. 
Mm-hmm. I've never read her before. I don't really know who she is, but um, the book kind of, it's basically inspired by a storm that actually happened and the 1621 witch, uh, witch trials in um, Norway. So it's kind of about a town that has just lost all of its men in this big storm. And it's kind of coming to terms with how this could have happened. And obviously there's a sort of, uh, there's a kind of religious overlord who is suggesting that something suspicious has happened here and that these women have kind of called this storm upon them in a way. Um, So it's good because it's kind of all about rumor in a small town, which is a little bit what my book is about. So that's kind of why I'm reading it. But it was recommended by my friend, Rebecca. So thank you, Rebecca. It's good so far. Louise, what are you reading at the moment? Um, so I am reading a book that isn't out yet called Homecoming, which is okay. by Luan Golding. So it's out on the 6th of August. You can pre-order it now if you don't want to. Um, so Luan was uh, just longlisted for the Women's Prize for her debut novel, uh, which was Nightingale Point. So if you like Nightingale Point um, and you've read that, then this is the same author. Um, but it's very different because Nightingale Point has like a lot of different characters and different um, voices. And this is mostly sort of um, a woman called Yvonne. So it's sort of set now, but it goes back in time, sort of 20 years. So Yvonne's 40 now, and then it goes back to like her final year at university. So it's kind of one of those um, books that is it's literary, but it is very suspenseful because you know that something happened about 10 years ago, and you're kind of like trying to find out what that thing was. So it's set mostly in London, but then she's sort of gone back to Kenya to... Um, trace of stuff that happened in Kenya sort of 10 years before and so there's this big secret that I'm waiting to discover oh oh I love a good secret in a book give me a secret (laughs) I always love secrets I I, it's something I so want to desperately try and be able to write myself is secrets I'm just terrible at it I don't know what I'm doing I don't know how to do it it's something to discuss later good right any promotions I also want to say is there anything else that people have just been watching any other pieces of culture that you just you just like everyone should watch this or see this or you know a film the national theatre um productions that have been on youtube which are great and actually i think they just announced the next five weeks which are going to last five weeks so if anyone's interested in tips for which plays they should watch um it's just on youtube and it's all free to watch um three that i saw small island based on the book by andrew levy i actually saw that twice last year um that's on in a couple of weeks i think uh le blanc which is a play by lorraine hansbury who was a black playwright uh and also amadeus so they're all coming up in the next few weeks so i definitely check those out they come out every thursday and then you've got a week to watch them on youtube fantastic awesome christina do you have anything I mean, I'm honestly, I'm kind of a bit slow to this, but I'm watching Westworld at the moment. um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's because it's kind of relevant to my next book. And um, I'm just noticing like how much like it it can change change if you don't keep a consistent set of writers on a show between Uh, one season and another season but like they really had an amazing secret in the beginning so speaking of secrets Mm. they did that super well super tense first season second season no no third season better again if you haven't if you haven't got the second season yet don't don't bother the third (laughs) season's good though the third season's good though it's terrible it's better it's terrible the first season though is just so perfectly (laughs) tense that yeah that season's brilliant it's like a really brilliant long film everything else is just like what (laughs) what's happening now yeah Terrible. yeah I'm also watching sharp objects so sharp objects is the other one which again I've been slow about but another mystery and actually that's a pretty good adaptation I'm, I rate that so how about you uh, Peter I, I have a, I, so uh what did we watch recently I don't know but I, something I do want to recommend is another podcast and I, I'm sure everyone watch, listens to it anyway because I'm sure most of our readers are Guardian listeners but the Guardian Daily Podcast it's just so unbelievably brilliant. And I think it's, so, if you're not listening to it, it's just like the perfect roundup of, of what's happening. They take a topic, give you half an hour about it. And it's just, it's so informative. And I highly recommend everyone listens to it. If you, if you just want a slightly left-leaning, it is slightly left-leaning, of course it is, because it's The Guardian, but it is, yeah, I think it's fantastic. So I rec- highly recommend that. Right, any promotions? My book, please Your book? My book. This Lovely City. This Lovely City. Available. 
and bookshops open soon. In fact, by the time it goes out, bookshops will be open, hopefully. Fantastic. There yeah. is a catastrophe. Um, so please go and buy my book. Get books promoted. Uh, I've got to promote that we are hopefully doing another Mere Live online soon. And the, the submissions for that are opening very soon. They could be open right now. They could have closed already. I have no idea. Um, so check that if you want to be part of the next Mere Live. And also, over the next two weeks, starting from the 22nd, we're going to be publishing a short story every single day. Sorry, a short story and creative nonfiction every single day uh, from our COVID, Stories in the COVID-19 project. So look at those. Have a little read. Right. It was lovely to do this again. I really enjoyed it. And I, and I think this is a good way to do it. Maybe we'll always do it like this. Maybe we'll never meet again. Who knows? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. It sounds dire. Wait. <laughs> the, op- the other option is to commute. And who wants to commute again? No one wants to commute anywhere. I can't no wait to commute. I can't oh, wait to commute. Just oh. not in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> Just on the, yeah, that's, that's true. I'm going to sit on a train, stinking of BO again. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> <think> anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I agree. Right, it was lovely to speak to you both and uh, see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.